The following audio is from Crossroads Church, a church in Lincoln, Nebraska, centered around building genuine community through authentic faith. More info can be found at lincolncrossroads.com. So, I want to talk about something today that is kind of uh, an ugly word. Ugh, it's self-righteousness. Ugh, isn't that a nasty word? Like, you don't even have to be, it's not even just a nasty church word. Like, that's a nasty cultural word. Nobody ever, ever you know, you want to you really insult somebody, you call them self-righteous. Like, is there a greater insult in our culture today than, you know, you self-righteous, da-da-da-da-da, right? Like, that is something that we don't want to be. It's an ugly word. And in fact, um, I'm, I'm, we're going to be talking about, because Acts is bringing us here, we're, we're going to be looking at some self-righteousness, and I'm even like trying to title the message on YouTube, and I'm like, I can't title a message with the word self-righteous in it. Nobody's going to listen to it. Nobody wants to listen to self-righteousness, right? But here's the thing about self-righteousness. It's so ugly that sometimes when we see it in others or we see it in scripture or we see Jesus attack it like he did so much in the Bible, we automatically assume that he's not talking about us because it's so ugly. There's no way that could be in me, okay? So here's what's gonna happen today. We're gonna look back at, um, we're gonna take a look back at Acts. We're gonna jump back into the story and really it's the story of Stephen, but before we talk about Stephen, we're going to take a couple chapters at one time because it's one story. Before we get to Stephen, we're going to look at some of those who were opposing Stephen. And so we're going to get a little bit of text of, of this opposition that comes up. He's going to give his defense, and then we're going to find out what happens on the back end. Um, but, but we're going to look at a few warning signs of the self-righteous. Now, now here's the thing. When, when we talk about self-righteousness, uh, um, there, there's a couple different aspects to it. There's a couple different maybe definitions even, or it exists on different levels, right? The first level is, the, is that ugly kind, that ugly kind that instantly comes to our mind. It's that, it's that superiority complex style self-righteousness, right? When you think of self-righteousness, isn't that the first kind of thing that pops into your mind is this like super superiority complex, this, this, this moralistic better than you thing that you, you know what I'm talking about, right? Of course. But here's a, another way that self-righteousness shows up. It's not always in this like intentional, evil, devious, like I'm better than you thing. Because here's the deal, here's another way it shows up is that it, 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 in genuinely trying to become righteous apart from Jesus is by definition self-righteousness, right? And so here's the deal. When Jesus addressed this, like, like this is like one of the big issues that he talked about. I mean, self-righteous hypocrisy, they kind of, you know, they kind of, he got after the Pharisees and the Sadducees and the rabbis and the religious leaders. And he was going like all these people, what was he talking about? This, this issue of self-righteousness. But here's what we, what we know. Some of them were just blatant, devious, ugly, satanic self-righteousness. But then there's guys like Nicodemus, right? Who early on was like, huh, yeah, I'm not there yet. I'm going to continue to pursue righteousness apart from Jesus. And we don't know what happened as he followed at a distance. 
But by the end of the story, he shows up to bury the one that his colleagues just executed. So there was something in him, still self-righteousness, but maybe not as ugly as the word automatically assumes, right? So here's what I want to do. We're going to look at some nastiness from the opposition of Jesus followers here. But what I want us to do is we're going to look at some some traits that self-righteous people tend to have. And here's what I'm going to invite you to do. (laughs) Invite. Can we can we use this as something to evaluate our own lives? Okay? And I'm not, we're not pointing fingers. I'm not saying, you're self-righteous. But there is nothing that will shut down the life of Christ in you like self-righteousness. In fact, that's what Jesus said that he came, right? Paul tells us in, in uh, Corinthians 5 that, that, that we take on, by the death and resurrection of Jesus, we are actually given his righteousness. That's what the cross did for us. So, so we don't have to earn it anymore. That's, that's the whole gospel, right? We don't have to earn it. So anything that we do, right? Back then, their whole self-righteousness was all about following the law. Today, we still have this self-righteous tendencies. Even though we're like, I believe in Jesus, but we, we, we sometimes slip into, but if I just do X, Y, and Z, then God's gonna love me just a little bit more. And, and those people over there who don't understand this, this doctrine like I do and don't understand quite the same things that I do, like I'm just a little bit superior to them because I've understood deeper spiritual truths. It's self-righteousness. And so what I'm going to invite us to do is to evaluate our own hearts and our own lives because I believe that, that if we can identify some of these things and just simply see them in us, it allows us then to deal with these things and it allows us to recognize them and say, hey, God, forgive me for these because he's got greater levels of freedom in the grace that God has. I said that, that self-righteousness shuts down the life of Christ, but it, it also locks us up into a certain type of bondage and slavery to our own behavior and actions. So we're going to take a look at this story because I believe God has, and I know self-righteousness is ugly, but I be, it's because I believe God has freedom for us at a greater level than we've ever known. But we've got to learn to identify these, maybe some of these self-righteous traits. So we're going to be looking at these guys and, and just kind of learning from them. I, I'm so appreciative of God's word that gives us some examples of like, okay, here's some things to pay attention So self-righteous is not an all or nothing thing. Sometimes we just kind of slip into it. So in Acts, and here's the deal, we're going to take two chapters today, almost two entire chapters. So we're not going to hit every single verse in this section, but here's the fun part. We're in Acts chapter six, which means if you're reading along with a Bible reading program, uh, I believe it's Wednesday. This is going to be our, 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 uh, our Wednesday and Thursday will be the chapters that we're actually on. So Another plug for a Bible reading. If you've not done that, you version, sign on, find us. You can follow along. All right, here we go. I want to find right here eight. Yeah, that's right. I said eight. I'll move quickly. Eight, warning signs of the self-righteous. Number one, they love titles. Self-righteous people love titles. See, so what's happened in their story, let me catch you up. What's happened in the story is, is the church has just appointed what we might call deacons, right? 
the, the, the ministry leaders of the first organized ministry of the church of Jerusalem, okay? This ministry of food, like distribution of food to the widows. And they just uh, uh, selected these guys full of wisdom and, and, the, and the spirit of God. And one of these guys' name was Stephen. God was using him for, to do all these incredible things. However, some opposition arose. It's interesting here, like we see this kind of this head-to-head thing with Stephen and some of these guys, but it wasn't like Stephen went headhunting. Stephen didn't chase down these guys and like, let me tell you what I think. He was just doing his ministry. He was just doing his business. He was just ministering to people. God was using him in powerful ways. Acts chapter six, verse eight. Now Stephen, a man full of God's grace and power, performed great and wondrous signs among the people. Opposition arose, however. Opposition arose, however, from, this is what it says in the NIV, from members of the synagogue of the freedmen, parentheses, as it was called. Here's, here, here's, I think this is funny. Whether the, I might, maybe I'm reading too much into this, but I love this statement here. Like we're talking about those who are bound up into religious living, bound by the rules and stuck in their religion, opposing those who are talking about life and grace and three, freedom through Christ. And so I, I think there's just a little bit of thing here, like where Luke, the author of Acts here, is going like, this is kind of funny, right? Like it, it, he's getting opposition. Stephen, who's doing miracles and healing people and, and the grace and the freedom of Christ is just like going out. And then there's <laughs> this group of freedmen, uh, as they were called. Here's the deal about the self-righteous. Self-righteous? love titles, right? I I love to be recognized as something. Give me a title that sounds important. And this is one of the things that Jesus addressed over and over. It's like, you guys just love being seen. You love being noticed. Whatever happened to like serving behind the scenes? And he says, these these self-righteous, here's one warning sign. They love titles. What about us? All right, we're going to quickly go on to the next one. Next, number two, if you're taking notes, one, they love titles. Two, they're argumentative. And here, here's another word. It doesn't mean the same as argumentative, but it also shows up at the same time. Defensive. Have you, ever, have you ever noticed that a lot of argumentative people tend to be very defensive people? Right? So in that text, it says this. It says, opposition arose, and then it goes on, and they began to argue with Stephen. Self-righteous people tend to be very argumentative people. Um, Self-righteous people tend to be able to find opponents. Self-righteous people tend to know who is with them and who is against them. Self-righteous people have this this tendency to, to always be ready to fight. Always be ready to defend themselves. And here's part of the reason why. Part of the reason is because the foundation of self-righteousness is my ability to know what is right and to do what is right, right? Without my ability to know what is right and do what is right, I can't be righteous from a self-righteous perspective, right? And again, I'm not talking about like self-righteous. I'm just talking about like the, I want to be righteous, even good motive. I want to do what is right. 
But if, if this is your mode, if we're doing it without Christ, if my goal is to be righteous, then I have to know what is right and then I have to do what is right. So now, if somebody has another perspective or somebody sees something a different way or if somebody challenges what I've known to be right, they're not just questioning my intellect, they are threatening the foundation upon which I build my life, right? This is what happened in the story. See, Stephen, essentially, his, his message was that Jesus is the Messiah and, and salvation is only through him, which meant that the Old Testament system, like the temple worship and, 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 and all those, the sacrifices, and basically the livelihood of, of the priests and, and all the religious figures, that was being questioned. They, they built their life on 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 my actions producing the righteousness that God requires. And in, that, in their case, honestly, it, rightly so, God commanded it. And yet Jesus shows up and he changed the game. And they were so entrenched in their religious perspectives, again, religious, their, their godly practices that they missed God when he showed up. Friends, this is what, this is what self-righteousness does. When we build our righteousness on, on, on a list of do's and don'ts, when we build our righteousness on our ability to keep all the good and right things, as long as I don't swear too much, as long as I don't drink too much, as long as I don't yell at my kids too much, as long as I don't keep myself pure, ish, as long as, right, then I, can, then I can be right, then I can be righteous, and that's the whole reason Jesus came, is like, you can't. But as long as we, we hold on to our self-righteous perspectives, as long as we hold on to, if I, do, if I know what is right, and I do what is right, then I can be right, the moment somebody questions that, the, shakes the whole foundation. And so here's the deal, and here, here's one of the ways that you can see the difference, right? If my heart is genuine, again, Nicodemus would be a great example. He was a Pharisee. He was in that self-righteous group. But if my pursuit of truth is genuine, if I genuinely want the truth, I genuinely want God's truth for me, when I encounter something that is different than what I've known, it doesn't threaten me. It gives me an opportunity to learn something I didn't know before, right? You see, when, when we're led by grace, which is how Jesus taught us to lead, when we're led by, or, or to follow, when, when we're led by grace, then I'm not threatened when somebody has an opinion that's different than mine. When I'm led by grace, I'm not threatened when, when, when somebody has, sees this doctrinal thing or somebody sees this verse a little bit different or somebody worships a slightly different way or somebody practices this. I'm not threatened by that because that difference is just another way for me to learn because the goal is to understand truth. However, if I've, if I've allowed that a little bit of self-righteousness in, and so I, I'm, I'm coming from this place, I know the truth, Right? 
You don't need to tell me the truth because I know the truth. It's the foundation of my life. I know the truth. I've, I've grown up on this truth. I know this truth. When you experience something different, it's a threat to what you know. Therefore, it's a threat to who you are. And we begin to allow our identity to get tied up in our, relig- our, our religious practices. So, number one, uh, warning signs of the self-righteous. Number one, they're self, they, are, they love titles. Number two, they're argumentative, get a little defensive. Here's number three. They have a tendency to stir people up. Look at verse 10 and verse 12 of Acts chapter 6. It says this, that they could not stand up against the wisdom the Spirit gave Stephen as he spoke. So this is what they did. So they stirred up the people. Here's another tendency, number three, the ten, number three tendency of uh, the self-righteous is they have this tendency to stir people up. Right? So here's the deal. They couldn't win the argument. <laughs> so what do they do? They just get, find enough people who agree with them. This is what the self-righteous love to do. And again, I'm not this blanket thing. This is, this is incremental. This is a gradient scale. And so the goal is not to, here, here's another thing. Let me just guard you right now. Some of you, you are seeing other faces. That should, be, that should have been number one. The self-righteous look at other people as self-righteous, all right? This is about us, not somebody else, Okay. Sorry to step on any toes if you like had a face in your head right now. Like, oh, I'm going to send this message to so-and-so today. <laughs> That's not what this is about. But here, the self-righteous have a tendency to stir people up. When something happens that I don't understand, when something happens that, that I don't agree with, and you ever get so frustrated that you can't seem to win an argument or you can't seem to get other people to, to, to see what you're saying, or you can't, like, let me just go find somebody else who agrees with me. Anybody else ever do that, right? Like it's, it's, it's this human tendency, and what it is, it's this form. It's, it's, it's kind of an indication of self-righteousness. Like, if truth in and of itself, I can't sit down with somebody, and let's talk about this, and we see this thing differently, like, we might be able to, to set part ways and just be like, hey, I love you, brother. I love you, sister, but uh, we might see this differently, and that's okay. But rather, the self-righteous rarely can do that. Instead, they're like, no, you're wrong, and i got to prove it to you. And yet they couldn't. That's what was happening to Stephen. They're bringing these, uh, these accusations against him. They're bringing this opposition towards him. And they're like, they, they, they're all uh, there. Reminds me of what happened like every time they try to like, trap Jesus. <laughs> and Jesus would say something or ask him a question, and they just looked dumb. Until they finally just stopped asking him questions. This is what happened. Now Stephen, a follower of Jesus, is doing the same thing to him because truth wasn't on their side. Self-righteousness was on their side. And they didn't have any other recourse, but now it's okay. I, I, I can't win this argument. I can't communicate what I'm trying to communicate with accuracy and truth. So let's just go see if we can find somebody else who's going to agree with me. Let's see if I can go stir people up. Friends, let me just say this. In the church... And I'm not speaking, any, I don't, I'm not like, oh, I'm addressing factions. and shit. This is just the next verse, okay? I'm just preaching what's the next thing in front of me, which I love that little safety blanket that I have here. Um, I don't see this in the church, but let me, just, let me just tell you, people who do this and cause church splits, listen. I heard somebody say this this morning. A, a spirit-led church has never been split. 
Because God loves unity and he hates divisiveness. Self-righteous people stir people up. Number four, they use rumors and half-truths to vilify their opponents. It says there in, in chapter 6, verse 13, they produced false witness. So they stirred people up, and then they went and found people that would give false witness. And if you read the false witness, there's, there's like any good lie, there's elements of truth to what they're saying. Okay, if you know just the gospel and the story that they're telling, there's elements of truth. Jesus said, they said that Jesus is going to destroy this temple. Well, okay, that's not really what we're, where we're going for, right? That he speaks against the law of Moses. Well, no, he just, Jesus just fulfilled it, right? Like, so there's elements of truth in, in what is happening. And listen, this, this is not just a... a, a <laughs> Something for us as, as a church, this is something for us as a culture. Like this is, this, and because it's in our culture so prevalent, we just got to guard ourselves. Like we think, we think like the, what happens around us doesn't affect us. It does. Like this is the way of the culture. Rumors and half-truths to vilify my opponents to make me feel better about where I'm standing. Right? Okay, even outside of the church, we see this. There's a reason. It's, it's not entirely, but it's probably for this reason. Why? You can look at Fox, CNN. They both report on the same thing. Guaranteed, they don't have the same story at the end of the day, right? Like, why? Because it's easier just to vilify the other guys, and it makes me feel better about where I'm at. And so we've got to be careful that we don't allow some of this to happen in us. And, and this is how it happens in, in church life. And again, like I said, I was just preaching at, at, at Epic last week. It was so rich. It was so good. I love it. In fact, I've, I've never preached in another church since being a pastor in Lincoln ever up until like a couple months ago. Now I have twice in the last three months. Like, it's cool. I, I love the body of Christ. So let's, let's, let's just be really careful. Sometimes we do this with different denominations or just simply being non-denominational. This is a funny one. Some of you have maybe done this to me. I don't know. I'm, I don't remember. Like, oh, this is non-denominational church, right? Yeah, that's, we're, we're the good guys. <laughs> I mean, you didn't say that, but I, I heard it though. I heard, I heard what you're saying, which I don't want to get on a soapbox, but literally you know that what you said is, I know absolutely nothing about what you guys do. <laughs> you have zero accountability. Yeah, that's, that's us, but that's another story. All right. Like, what is that? That's spiritual superiority. That's those denominations. They're the bad guys. I heard that they have to preach whatever they, they say. And if they, they preach something that, that, that their, their top guys didn't tell them to preach, then they're going to get fired or moved somewhere else. Don't be silly. Sure, maybe that happened somewhere, okay? But what we do is we hear these rumors and half-truths, and then we just vilify a whole group of people. You hear that, that church down the, down the street? They don't believe that any, that God even works at all today. He just like set it in motion and said, good luck, right? If you speak in tongues, they call you demon possessed. Anybody who believes this thinks that we're demon possessed. What? Do you hear that other church down the street? They're like, like teaching people how to speak in tongues. It's super weird. Do you hear that whole group of people? They're like, I don't even know what's wrong with them. Hey, did you guys know? Did you guys know that we're the only people who know how to read the Bible, right? 
It's, it's sneaky. It's like maybe this one person did this one dumb thing, but it's really it's easier for us to categorize everybody who even leans in the direction of that one dumb person so that I can feel better about how spiritual I am. Let's be careful. Right? Because one of the characteristics of the self-righteous is that we use rumors and half-truths to vilify their opponents. It's what these guys were doing to Stephen. And if we're not careful, we can do it to our own brothers and sisters in the body of Christ. So let's be careful. So here's the deal. Now we get to, um, now we get to Stephen. And we're going to talk a little bit more about him and his character and what we see in him next week. But I wanted to just kind of set up the setting. And so we had to see the opposition that was coming at him. So they bring these accusations to him. And they're like, so what do you have to say for yourself? And here's what's interesting. We're about to see, if you guys know the story, we're about to see, a little spoiler, he's about to turn on them hard. Like he's about to Jesus-style brood of vipers, you guys. Like he's about to go there, okay? And yet, but he doesn't start there. In fact, this is a text that I've not wrestled with as in like, oh, what do I do with this? But like, it seemed curious to me. And so I did a little bit of a, a deeper dive this week and found something that was really interesting and gave me a better understanding of what was going on in this passage. So in Isaiah, cha- or sorry, Isaiah, sorry, in, in Acts chapter 7, so then the high priest asked Stephen, are these charges true? To this he replied. So then he goes from verse 2 all the way down here until he gets to verse 47. And basically what he does is he just gives Bible stories. Now, like elementary style Sunday school Bible stories. He begins to walk them through the history of Israel, the stuff, the Old Testament, the stuff that they would agree with. What he was doing was he was building a connection with them. He wasn't setting them up to pounce. He was building connection with them because I believe this was in Stephen's heart, that he wanted the the Sanhedrin who was before him, who was questioning him, he wanted them to understand the truth of of the Messiah, Jesus, and the freedom that he offered. And so he's, he's beginning to, to, to build some ground and, and, and repair some damage that had been done. No, no, no. I believe in Abraham, our father who started this whole thing. I believe in Jacob who gave us his sons as the tribes of Israel. I believe in Joseph who pro- pro- propelled the story forward. I believe in Moses and the law that he gave and he gave us the tabernacle to worship God. I, I believe in, in, in David who, who had in his heart to, to build the temple and Solomon who eventually built it. And then he went off script a little. In verse 48, he says this, however, the most high does not live in houses made by human hands. Okay. That may not sound that intense to you, but something about that struck a chord. And so then he, he, he quotes, because he's like, Hey, this is still scripture. He quotes Isaiah chapter 66 verses one and two. We find that there in Acts. He says, as the prophet says, heaven is my throne and the earth is my footstool. What kind of house will you build for me, says the Lord? Or where will my resting place be? Has not my hands, has not my hand made all these things? Okay, that doesn't seem that intimidating, right? So, okay, 
he believed through the Old Testament, and now this, this idea that God is bigger than the temple, shouldn't, shouldn't they be able to understand that, right? Isn't this some kind of like poetic, like, okay, God doesn't just live in a house. Yeah, yeah, I get it. I and mean, we worship him there, but shouldn't they have been able to wrap their brains around that? Here's the thing. There's something about the Sanhedrin. These guys were the top guys. And as the top guys, they would have most likely had the entire Old Testament memorized. Let that sink in for a minute. These guys knew the word. If they didn't have it memorized, they had it theme by theme. They understood it. So as, as, as Stephen begins to, to read Act, or sorry, uh, Isaiah 66, he starts reading this. And I, I, there's one of two options. One, I, I wonder if he was going to read the whole thing. I, I kind of think he might have. And if he wasn't going to read the whole thing, he was starting it so as to communicate what was in the rest of it. They knew what this prophecy was about. And it wasn't until I dove into to, to, uh, Isaiah 66 that I, I started to realize, oh, this makes sense why they got so mad. You see, because what he does is he reads this, he reads this text about, about the house of God and all that kind of stuff. And we're like, why are you so mad? And then it, it's almost like out of the blue, like, like bipolar kind of thing. Like, hey, we're talking about Moses and Joseph and David, and it's so nice. And then verse 51, you stiff-necked people. Like, where did that come from? Anybody else read this and be like, what happened to Stephen? You stiff-necked people, your hearts and your ears are still uncircumcised. You're just like your ancestors. You always resist the Holy Spirit. Was there ever a prophet your ancestors did not persecute? They even killed those who predicted the coming of the righteous one, and now you've betrayed and murdered him. You've received the law that was given through angels, but have not obeyed it. What? Right? Like, how did... You want to know what the rest of Isaiah 66 says? I don't believe... I don't believe Stephen was out for blood. Stephen was doing what the apostles had done already multiple times in the book of Acts. He was standing before the religious leaders and explaining, this Jesus is for you. This is what Isaiah 66 says. After that, the first verse and a half, it says this, right the next line in Isaiah 66, I believe where 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 Stephen was going with it. It says, these are the ones I look on with favor. Those who are humble and contrite in, heart, in spirit and who tremble at my word. But whoever sacrifices a bull is like one who kills a person. Sacrifice a bull, that's what their job was. That's what the priests did is make sacrifices. It goes on. Whoever makes a grain offering like the priest would do is like one who presents pig's blood. And whoever burns memorial incense is like one who worships idols. They have chosen their own ways and they delight in their abominations. He was saying this to the religious leaders. You see, they would have known Isaiah 66 and they would have known that it was what they refer to as a messianic prophecy. They would have known that this was God is going to come. When, when the Messiah comes, he's going to lead us into something new. And what he was saying is, listen, the time has come to put away your old covenant religious practices because the Messiah has come. 
And if you continue to worship God in the temple, and if you continue to make these sacrifices when the one sacrifice for sin has already been made, he says it's an abomination and it's like worshiping other idols. Those are serious accusations. He says, for for when I called, no one answered. When I spoke, no one was listening. They did evil in my sight and chose what displeases me. Verse five, hear the word of the Lord, you who tremble at his word. Hear that uproar from the city. Hear the noise from the temple. It is the sound of the Lord repaying his enemies all they deserve. The sound of the Lord repaying his enemies from inside the temple. Can a country be born in a day or a nation be brought forth in a moment? Yet no sooner is Zion in labor than she gives birth to her children. In other words, listen, when God does this new thing, it's going to happen fast. There's not going to be like this this, this nine-month pregnancy thing. Like when God makes a decision to give birth to his children, it's happening quick. And what Stephen was saying is, hey guys, the time is now. The switch has been made God is here. The Messiah has come. But listen, it wasn't just a prophecy of condemnation because look what it says next. It's a prophecy of invitation. He says, rejoice, Jerusalem. Hey, Sanhedrin. Hey, rabbis. Hey, religious leaders. Rejoice, Jerusalem, and be glad for her. All you who love her, rejoice greatly with her. All you who mourn over her. And I am about to come and gather the people of all nations and languages and they will come and they will see my glory and I will select some of them also to be priests and Levites. When Stephen began to quote from Isaiah 66, he didn't have to get here because they knew what he was saying. The Messiah has come, guys. And it's time to put away your religious activity. It's time to put away your human efforts to righteousness. It's time, like Jesus said, like Isaiah said, it's time to be reborn. It's time for a new birth. The baby does no effort at all to be born. Mom does all the labor. Listen, God's already done all the labor. We just received the gift of being adopted into his family, of being brought birthed into his family. And that is what Stephen was communicating. Guys, it's not about what you can do anymore. It's not about what you accomplish anymore. It's not about your works. It's not about how hard you try. It's not about who your parents were. It's not about how holy you look. It doesn't matter how how pure your life or how messed up your past is. None of it matters. You've been brought into the family of God. You see, it goes on in, in, in Acts chapter 7. And it says, when the members of the Sanhedrin heard this, and I think this is where it gets confusing for me. I just assumed heard this, like you stiff-necked people. That's where they started getting riled up. I think they started getting riled up way before the you stiff-necked people. I think that's why he said it. See, I believe he started quoting Isaiah 66, and that Sanhedrin got feisty fast. Wait, what is he saying? Like, you're you're telling me, no, 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 no. This is not what you think. No, no, no. You don't don't come in here. You don't come into our place and start telling us how we're supposed to. No, this isn't going to happen. And I I feel, I look at this and go, this is the most logical explanation for me. As he began to quote Isaiah 66, they knew what he was saying. They started to get, as it says, furious, and they gnashed their teeth at him. 
And so he turned and said, you stiff-necked people. Listen, it wasn't, it wasn't just attacking. He was sharing the truth that Jesus was the one they're looking for. And they couldn't hear it because of their self-righteousness. They were so entrenched in their religion that they couldn't see what God was doing right in front of them. Friends, let's take heed to this warning. I know we might love Jesus, but let's be careful that we don't allow our own religion, our own religious practices, our own way of doing things to blind us from what God might actually want to be doing in our hearts and in our lives. So here's the last three. We see this in the, in the last paragraph as, as uh, Stephen's about to face a really angry Sanhedrin now. Here's the fifth characteristic of of the, the fifth warning sign of the self-righteous. It says this, they're easily angered. Self-righteous people are easily angered. And they tend to justify that anger. Self-righteous people love the, word, the phrase righteous indignation, which is not in the Bible. Uh, but they like that term because it means like I can be holy and angry, but self-righteous people tend to get angry really easily, especially, and this is what happened in this text, when anything challenges their traditions, <laughs> including scripture. Stephen was bringing scripture and like, no, 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 no. We don't receive that. See, verse 54, chapter seven, verse 54 says this. When the members of Sanhedrin heard this, they were furious and they gnashed their teeth at him. Because here's why. When your identity is tied to your doctrine or your practice or your tradition, when those things are challenged, you get angry. When your identity is tied to your practice, your doctrine, or your tradition, when any of those things get challenged, you get angry. Because they're not just questioning what you think, they're questioning who you are. Which is the beauty of what Stephen was trying to say. God has given birth to a new people and he's invited everybody into his family. So it's not about having perfect doctrine anymore. It's not, and listen, don't get me wrong. Doctrine's important. Understand God, study the word. But your identity is not in having all the right answers. It's not about the traditions, the ones that are rich and, and, and upholding the right ones. No, it's about the fact that we are sons and daughters of God. Number six. So number five is they're easily angered. Number six, they don't listen. That's what it says in verse 57. At this, they covered their ears and yelling at the top of their voices, they rushed at him. This is an intense scene. The self-righteous people don't listen, especially when anything challenges their traditions, right? It challenges the way that they think. Listen to what James says. Listen to what James says in James 1, 19 to 20. He says this, my dear brothers and sisters, take note of this. Everyone should be quick to listen, slow to speak, and slow to become angry because human anger does not produce the righteousness that God desires. See, self-righteous people tend to say, well, this anger isn't human. This is God's anger. And yet, if it's God's anger that is making you slow to listen and quick to speak and quick to become angry, it's probably not God's anger. It's probably the human anger. Self, self-righteousness, one of the signs of the self-righteous is you're easily angered, you don't listen, and then look what happens next. Verse 57 to 58 says, they all rushed at him, dragged him out of the city, and began to stone him. 
The self-righteous are their own judge and jury. And apparently executioner. So the self-righteous can make judgments. And whether they have the authority to carry out judgments, I'm, I'm guessing most of us have never like plotted stoning somebody in our backyard, okay? I'm, I'm assuming, right? Hoping, okay? And yet sometimes there's that thing inside of us that we just feel like we have to make sure that they know how wrong they are. Anybody ever? You ever tell somebody off who isn't there in your car on the way to work? Not just a small little way that we play judge and jury, right? See, the self-righteous, they want to make judgments. The self-righteous, they want to assume motives. The self-righteous want to condemn. You know what Stephen's last words were? Lord, don't hold the sin against them. Before somebody buried a boulder into the side of his head. There's a little bit of a contrast there, isn't there? So friends, here's, here's, again, I'm not trying to be a downer today, but I do find it interesting that even Sandy's communion message today was one of reflection. So I want to encourage us today. Again, I, we got to get to a place where we can say, okay, Lord, I, I want you to value my heart. Well, I'm, I'm, not, I'm, not, I'm not trying to make a complete villain out of, like, we're, we're not doing that. But just, God, I, I want, like David, like David prayed, God, see if there's any, any, anything, God, any unclean thing in me. Because friends, we don't have to stone someone to death to allow ourselves to be robbed of the fullness of Christ and the richness of his grace through self-righteousness. So what if we just did a checklist? Do I love titles? Do I? Do I need? Do I need my title? Is that a security blanket for me? If I know that somebody's given me a title, then I know that I have some worth. I know that I'm on the right track. I know that, that I, I must be at least a little bit right so I can affirm my own self-righteousness. Do I need a title? Or am I just a servant of God and I'll take whatever title comes with it or not? Am I argumentative? Am I defensive? <laughs> Some of you right now are like, I'm not argumentative. I'm not defensive. <laughs> Am I argumentative? Is there something in me that just always wants to play the devil's advocate? Listen, the devil's doing a good enough job by himself. He doesn't need your help.
Do I have a tendency to stir people up? When, when things aren't going the way that I think they should, when I'm not being listened to like I expect, whether it's in church, whether it's in family, whether it's in my workplace, am I, am I the one that rallies the angry mob? Do I use rumors and half-truths to vilify my opponents? Here's a good practical step. Never repeat anything you read on the internet. There's just a healthy little. It is funny though, right? We all make fun of people like, oh, I heard it on the internet. Ha <laughs> we make that joke, but then we do it. Don't use rumors and half-truths to vilify your opponents. First of all, if we're in Christ, we don't have opponents. Am I easily angered? When something challenges my expectations of the way they should go, does anger rise up in me? How often do I justify my anger by calling it righteous? It's a hard one to find in Scripture. Especially when God says it is His to avenge and the only Example in scripture we typically have is God of the universe clearing the temple. You're not Jesus. Am I easily angered? Do I listen? Am I so quick with my defense? Am I so quick with my argument? Am I so defensive of actually even hearing someone else that I just shut people down? Am I on my Am I my own judge and jury? Do I, do I just, boom, cancel people? We hate our cancel culture. We don't really hate canceling people. Father, we stand here in this very, very sobering moment. I'll be honest, Lord, it's more fun to rejoice in your goodness than evaluate our hearts. But Father, as David prayed, God, see if there's anything. God, I, I, I don't want to allow, man, it, it, it starts so small. It starts with one little offense. God, I don't want anything to grow in me. God, if there is something, would you help me? Would you rip it out of me? Would you identify it? A defensiveness, like, uh, a quick temper, a, a need for approval. God, would you see us? God, we know we're your children. God, we know it is by your grace and there's nothing we can do. God, we know that it's not by works, but Lord, we get sucked in. So here, God, we're coming clean. The honest truth is sometimes my heart gets uglier than I'd like to admit. God, we want to be like Stephen, but let's maybe start by letting you do work on that. that self-righteousness that tends to grow in dark places.
God, we're your servants. And we freely receive your gift of grace to us, not because of works so that no one can boast. God, help us to walk in it. We know it. Father, help us to walk in it. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Thank you for listening to this audio from Crossroads Church. Feel free to share this audio with others, but please do not alter or edit the content in any way. For more information about Crossroads, please visit lincolncrossroads.com.